Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook, and Instagram, or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Tired. There's some honesty. I like that. <laughs> I like the honesty. Uh, anybody, anybody have a little clock uh, kerfuffle? Why did that word come to mind? Um, uh, anybody struggling with the clock this morning? We, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm glad you're all here. It's awesome uh, to be here. We get to continue in our, our series this morning. Um, I hope you got in a good conversation about what you uh, telling a story about uh, something fun that's happened or it's something you've done. We're going to try to tell some more stories in our community time other than just simply answering questions. So really excited about that. I'm going to just pray to welcome God into this space and this time uh, as we uh, go to God's word and try to be shaped by who he is. So if you pray with me, we'll, we'll jump right in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, thank you for this space that gets created every day or every Sunday. God, this space that's in a public space that's used uh, as a school, God. So we pray that you would bless this school, um, that our, uh, your presence with us this morning would stay and be present with the teachers in their classrooms as we're trying to love the students uh, at Loring. God, would you be with us this morning revealing who you are and in so doing revealing who you've created each of us to be. God, I pray if we uh, come with arms crossed and our guards up, God, Holy Spirit, that you would just give us a sense of your peace and grace this morning as we enter in uh, to truth about you, and may it shape who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you all were sharing stories about uh, a fun time in your life, and many of the fun times in my life have been outdoors and fishing. My family has got this tradition of going to Canada Canada is this country north of ours. I know we don't hear, hear a, lot of, a lot about it, but uh, we go up there because the fishing is much better than here, and it's just kind of fun to get away. I've got ridiculous amounts of cousins, uh, and the genes were a little messed up in our uh, household, so there's a lot of guy cousins, so we kind of have this caravan that goes up there, and we have a fun time, but uh, just about every year, this story comes up of me and my first trip going up there. Uh, and my dad and others love to tell it, and this story that involves Oreos, and I love Oreos. So, uh, of course, we got the double stuff, the whole pack. We're up there for a week, you know, so we think that it'll last that long, but uh, sure enough, I was like 12 years old. This is my first trip up there, and uh, day two, we discover that all of the double stuff Oreos, like all three, is there three trays in there or four? Doesn't matter, all of them are gone. And so then the detective work, it matters. The detective work starts, you know, one person after another opens the Oreos up and goes, who the heck worked their way through all this? And, you know, they start asking and interrogating. And uh, pretty quickly they find the culprit and they, they turn to me and say, JD, did you eat all these? And I said, no, 
no, no. And with this grin, they saw <laughs> the little black pieces in my teeth. It looked like a dairy cow, my teeth did. And in that moment, uh, we laugh about it now, and we, we, we joke about it, but my 12-year-old self, I was terrified. I had been found out. Um, in that moment, with all my relatives around, it was a, I still remember kind of the trembling feeling of being discovered. And as I reflect back on that, and as I do some reflection in what we've been talking about, um, I ask, why was I so shaken by being exposed in that moment? Why was my 12-year-old self so fragile? And I think in the midst of family or in any relationship, whenever your identity kind of gets called into question, my reputation with these young cousins and my uncles I really cared about, and I didn't want to be one who makes his way through the Oreo <laughs> tray that fast. And as silly as that is, I think whenever these truths come out about ourselves that we would rather keep to ourselves, there's something about our identity uh, that gets shaken, that gets sort of brought to light, and we feel uncomfortable, and stuff comes up in us. This whole series is really a conversation about identity. So the series is called I Am, semicolon, You Are. And what we're doing is we're in the book of John. We've been reading through the New Testament this year, and we're into the book of John. And we'll be there until Easter in this Lenten series. And what we're doing is we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus. And why we're doing that is uh, we're, we think that who Jesus is shapes who we are. In reflecting on the sermon series, we were kind of uh, talking about how our culture uh, engages with the idea of identity. And uh, particularly young people who are a part of that conversation that shaped that have noted how it's not cool anymore for anything other than yourself to shape your identity. So the idea that there's this God, Jesus, who shapes who you're becoming is really an anathema in this culture of coming up with your identity. The, the, the idea that you yourself cultivate your identity is prevalent. And it, it, at its outset, it sounds right, like to have self-assurance in who God created you to be, to have some level of self-determination, but what it can come to is this idea that you alone are the arbiter of who you're becoming. Like you alone are on an island. And I think the backside of this idea of a curated identity is this extreme loneliness, this extreme pressure of perfectionism. There's an underbelly of this uh, culture we have of the curated identity. I mean, Instagrams, Facebook feeds are sort of petri dishes in some sense, or test uh, examples of this, that there's curated images of oneself that you put out there, and there's tremendous pressure uh, to, to portray yourself in the best light. And so we're simply asking, uh, where does this curated identity lead us? What might Jesus have to say in the midst of that? What might Jesus' identity say about our identity and how, it's choosing, how we're choosing to shape our identity? So we're looking at these I am statements, and let me explain the I am statements a little bit. Um, uh, these I am statements, if anybody sits down with you in, in Scripture and says, where in the world does Jesus say that he's God? And there's a couple places there is, but someone did this with me once, and they said, does Jesus anywhere ever say that he's God? 
And these I am statements are really the, not the clearest, but one of the clearest uh, proclamations of Jesus himself claiming his divinity. Because the, the word I am is something that God used to re- refer to himself in the Old Testament, particularly uh, when he's speaking to Moses. He says, I am who I am. So Jesus saying these different I am statements echoes in a way he aligns himself with that God of the Old Testament. And every time he says it, he really ticks everybody off, especially the religious elite. So here they are. This is a lineup of them. This is where we're going in the next few weeks here. Adobe preached this amazing sermon last week. If you haven't heard it, it's on our podcast about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Today we're going to talk about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And next we're going to talk about Jesus saying, I am the gate or the door. Uh, He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Excuse me. And I am the vine, he says. Now, we're going to skip one of those for table church, so you can investigate uh, whatever one we choose to skip on your own. But these will be guiding sort of things for us because Jesus is intentional with what he pairs with that phrase, I am. When he's claiming that he's God coming to rescue his people, the God who shapes our identity, when he pairs it with these things, he has particular meanings, particular windows, lenses, as we used last sermon series, of looking into who Jesus is. And those things shape who we are. So the one I want to look at this morning, as I said, is, I am the light of the world. And this phrase comes from John 8, 12. So this is where uh, he, he says it in John 8, 12. And let's just read uh, the, well, let me give you a little backdrop of John first. So John is the fourth gospel. It's written much later than the rest of the gospels. Uh, so we think that this is written by, uh, the person names themselves in some way as the beloved disciple. And he gives you... Uh, his mission statement, if you will, of writing this gospel. In chapter 20, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So our mission statement is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. This book is written to people like us who are trying to live into Jesus's way. The author himself states Uh, this is what this is about. And many scholars believe that some of these are just a conglomeration of that person John's stories with Jesus and either written by himself or written by the community of disciples that he cultivated uh, through his life. And that might come up as we read some more scripture today. So let's jump in. This is John. One more thing to know about where we're jumping in. John chapter 8. So Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and it's really interesting in the middle of John, he stops by all these festivals So if you read it fast, it looked like Jesus was just a party animal because he would go to festival after festival after festival. And the festival he's at is called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. Booths, not booze, booths. Uh, There's probably a little bit of both there. Um, But what this festival is, is that Jewish people would reenact what it was like for them to be in Exodus. They would reenact what it was like to follow God through the desert. And what what they would do is they would build little booths. They would build little structures uh, with, like, kind of tent-like things uh, outside of the city. And they would stay in them sometimes overnight, and they would have meals in them as a way of remembering that important part of their history, this journey of following uh, God 
through the wilderness. So here in this, Jesus says this phrase and speaks uh, this among other things. Let's just read it. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, I want to pose to you this morning, just kind of want to pause and say, what do you think Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world? So we're, we're literally going to stop. I'm going to stop talking and uh, around you just for like two minutes, maybe the person you talk to within community time, just say, hey, this is what I think this might mean. So go around, find someone for the next two minutes, just say, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? What might it mean? No wrong answer. Cool, about one more minute, if everybody's been able to share, but make sure everybody's able to give some thoughts. Great, okay, let's bring it back. I don't need to preach anymore. That was awesome for you guys, right? I'm going to preach a little bit more. I just want to hear from the room. Nobody has to share, but if there is something that you thought uh, someone shared uh, that was insightful, that kind of was like, oh, that's a great idea, or you yourself something struck you, go ahead. We didn't coordinate this, but um, one of the clear things in this text is that this is an homage or a reference to the pillar of fire in the experience of the Israelites' journey through uh, the Exodus where God presented himself or made himself manifest in the daylight in in a pillar of fire and in the night a pillar of light and cloud. So in that sense, no electricity gave them light to literally... Uh, lead them through the wilderness. So, yeah, great connection. Anyone else? 
Hmm. Hmm. That's really good. What's your name? Tiana. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Thank you. Oh, she's Tiana. Sorry, if you're doing. Tiana said that it's so great that Jesus is here because he gives us light uh, to to live. Is that the right? Got it. If Jesus was here, if Jesus wasn't here, we'd be walking in darkness. So we kind of can't even perceive the ways that God illuminates our lives. Really good. Yeah. 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 Gave us guidance. That's good. Thank you. Anyone else want to share? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So light being a, almost a source of passion in someone's soul. That's awesome. It's great. Well, I wanted to do that in some part just to demonstrate. Jesus being the light of the world means so many things that I could never fit into one sermon. And that's why sometimes it's great to just pause and have a conversation about what this means instead of listen to one voice. And so I have some thoughts on what this can mean for our community, but I don't want you to hear those as the answer of what it means, because all of what's been shared is what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. As I mentioned, uh, part of it is that Exodus experience. Uh, but one thing that stuck out to me that has never stuck out to me before about this passage in general is the story that comes right before it. So if you uh, open your Bibles, if you've got one, you may notice that there's this chunk of text, the first 11 verses of chapter 8, and in many Bibles, they're italicized. And the reason they're italicized, I said earlier that the book of John was probably written by a community of disciples, and so the very earliest versions of John we have, some of them are missing this story, which it doesn't really freak us out as biblical scholars, that happens sometimes. But sometime later after the original text, this may have been introduced because it was, this story was so important to the community, and they intentionally put it in this part of the story. Now, John's gospel is not chronological. It's a collection of stories that is put in a thematic, uh, uh, a thematic uh, outline to communicate something. So it, it, it begs us as readers to pay attention the, to the placement of this story. So I want to read this story, and I want you to think about Jesus' actions in this story and what it means for him to be the light of the world. What those words of him saying, I am the light of the world, and uh, in me, people will have the light of life. Another question might be, how are the characters in this story bringing light to the situation? And how is that different than Jesus is bringing light to the situation? So let's read this. This is the story of um, Pharisees finding uh, an adulterous woman and bringing her before Jesus. It says in uh, verse 1, 
uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So this, you can see, is kind of a, a, a scribal, like Jesus is where, here and there. So that's why scholars think this might have been inserted a little bit later. Chapter 2. At the dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He, being Jesus, sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question to tra uh, as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone who, of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this point, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The next verse is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. What might Jesus be being the light of the world look like in this situation? You know, I, I grew up and have watched the church use the phrase the light of the world to mean things that don't look much like what Jesus is demonstrating here. I've heard the church use phrases like being the light of the world to contrast themselves against the world. There's two distinct things going on here, two characters that are bringing something to light, right? There's three characters, essentially. There's the woman who's been exposed for this mistake, this darkness that's a part of her life. There's the Pharisees and the scribes that are really inappropriately dragging her around town and bringing her before Jesus, using this woman who I'm sure is completely ashamed of being caught in this to test Jesus. Not, they don't seem interested in her at all, actually. It's just a ploy for Jesus. And then Jesus' response to this woman. And I, many scholars are, have been scratching their head over what Jesus is writing into the sand. It's like one of the first questions. I, I got a lot of questions for Jesus when I get to to heaven, uh, whatever that, that means to be in his presence. Uh, but one of them is going to be like, dude, what did you write in the sand? But uh, one of uh, scholars' best guesses is that in trials uh, that occurred in the temple, uh, they often didn't have much to write with. So scribes and lawyers of the time would write people's or the names of the accused in the sand. And they would uh, write a line in the sand sometimes and uh, drag, like a click and drag almost, the person's name over the line as a sign of them being condemned. And Jesus here, some say, is stooping down, maybe writing the woman's name in that process, but then it's clear that he continues to write. 
And many scholars think that he continues to write maybe the names of the people who are standing there uh, condemning her as a way of saying, like his question, who among you is without sin that can cast the first stone? And so a way Jesus is kind of laying bare not only the woman's mistakes, the things that she'd rather keep secret, but also the people there who have stones in their hands. And then his response is to ask her, has anyone condemned you? And the answer is no. And he says, neither do I. And this harkens back to the beginning of John. John 3.16, we know it well, but do we know the, prece- the, preceding, or the, the following verse, which is that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. And here Jesus is demonstrating what that looks like in real life in this woman's life. He doesn't offer a condemnation. And I think the church's mistake over time has been to equate uh, judgment and condemnation with being the light of the world. It is not our job to condemn. Nowhere does Jesus choose to condemn. He says right after he's come to give himself so other people have everlasting life, he says that I have not come to condemn, but to heal the world. What would it be like for us uh, to echo Jesus' identity as the light of the world, not to condemn, but to be with those who've been exposed in their brokenness, to be with those who are being real with the struggle? Because here's the deal. The reason he was maybe writing those Pharisees' names in the sand is because they had brokenness that they weren't willing to expose. They weren't willing to come into the light. Jesus is contrasting the darkness and the light here. And if we were to contrast those two, just think about the darkness, the Pharisees standing over here, and and the light, and the woman caught in between the two, and Jesus represented over here. In the darkness, uh, there's the shadow side of people where we project our best behavior, uh, but we don't want to tell other people about the brokenness that we're experiencing. And when we don't do that, what happens in the darkness is shame. Shame lives in the darkness. And condemnation comes from ourselves and others. We weaponize our shame. That's what they were doing. They were weaponizing their shame. They were literally picking up stones. I was in Arizona last week, and I found this stone that looks like it would be in Israel. And they were in their own way picking up a stone to throw it at this woman. How many times does the things, the mistakes, and the brokenness in our life uh, that we don't want to come to light crystallize into things that we weaponize towards ourselves and towards others? Man, I don't know how many times I've been having a bad day, and I feel like I have clenched fists because of the things I'm struggling with, and my kid does a silly thing, and I'm this close to snapping, right? Or there's that driver on the highway who takes a turn a little bit closer to than you would like to your bumper, and all of a sudden you have clenched fists and there's a stone in your hand. I think too often the churches has stones in their hands instead of being on their knees in solidarity with the people who are experiencing brokenness around us. We can weaponize that which we're not willing to bring to light. And Jesus contrasts that. Jesus is with her. Jesus offers forgiveness to her not condemnation. 
In the midst of the light, there's humility for her. It's not great for her, but there's truth that actually brings freedom in Jesus' name. There's an invitation of growth at the end for Jesus where he sends her out. He doesn't condemn her. And this is what's for us in the light. Later on in chapter 8, he says, the light is like truth that brings ultimate freedom. When you walk in truth, you bring freedom. There's this invitation that Jesus gives to everyone to let our truths, even the ugly parts that we don't feel comfortable coming out, be out there so that he can heal them, forgive them. I think we walk around imagining God more like the Pharisees with stones in their hands than we do Jesus, who's willing to stand with us and offer forgiveness. And there's so much of our life that we keep to ourselves in shame that rots away at our soul. I know this has been my experience. I've been reading this book by Dallas Willard that says the deepest fear, uh, it's called uh, The Renovation of the Heart, and one of the points he makes is the deepest fear that humans have, one of the deepest fears is rejection. And I've had some significant experiences of rejection in my life that have shaped my propensity to hold on to my brokenness and keep it to myself out of fear of rejection of others. One of the the times in my life where I was most afraid of that is I uh, had just married Christian Ann or was uh, engaged to her, I can't recall, and uh, it had been boiling up in me that we needed to have a conversation about some sexual brokenness that I was carrying with me into that marriage. Every part of me wanted to go into marriage with her, retaining the perception she had of this glowing husband she was about to marry, you know? But then it became increasingly, increasingly just inauthentic for me to not have a truthful conversation where I just kind of laid it out and said, here's some experiences I've had, some habits I still have that I'm trying to work on that are areas of brokenness for me. And I got to tell you, I was fearing rejection. I was fearing condemnation. And what came out of that conversation was forgiveness, acceptance, and light, and freedom. Krishnan in, in, was able to sit with me and say, that's really hard. She was able to be with me in my story, not take on my brokenness, but be with me in it and be gracious and communicate the grace of Jesus to me in that conversation. And I really don't think our marriage and our life would be the same if we weren't able to go to that place and have that conversation. Jesus wants to be that presence for us that doesn't condemn, that brings to light things but offers forgiveness, truth, and freedom. North City, we need to be that kind of church with each other, to be able to hold each other's hard truths well. I'm not saying take on each other's hard truths. I'm not saying condemn each other's hard truths either. I'm saying be able to sit with each other and be open and honest and truthful about how all of us are experiencing brokenness. All of us in every way. We're not uh, getting the access to the grace of God that he has for us if we can't do that with each other. If we can't confess our sins to one another, and I don't just mean, forgive me, Father, these are the sins that I've committed this week. We do this in discipleship table. We communicate the hard tension of life of following Jesus in the ways that we haven't measured up, the ways we haven't followed his guidance. And we sit with each other with no condemnation. 
and we point each other to the light, point each other to Jesus who offers freedom, grace, forgiveness. If we don't do that, our shame becomes weapons. Honestly, I think all the time about how our neighborhood would perceive us as a church because I love them. I think all the time about how our neighbors think what their experience would be if they walked through our doors, came to a discipleship table, went to one of our meals. And I think, honestly, some of the perception they carry is that they would receive immediate condemnation. And so let's pray together in the name of Jesus that we can be a different example. That what it means for us to be uh, people who are created in the image of the light of the world is that we can have the response like Jesus had to the woman caught in adultery. Because we're modeling it with our own brokenness. I want to invite uh, the band to come up. And I just want to uh, just want to encourage you as we continue in worship this morning that if there if this resonates with you, if there's pieces of your life that you feel like only you can hold on to, and there's no space for you to just let this sit with someone who, who you trust and who is with you. One, one point of encouragement I want to give you, that encouragement a counselor has given me at different points, is he's like always asking me, who's on your team? And what he means by that is, who are the people in your life that you can have a no-condemnation conversation with? Because the alternative is for you to just hold it inside. And this morning, I want you to know that this community is going to try to be that for you. We can't be all of those things for you, but we're going to try to be a space where you can sit with that. And one of the opportunities you have this morning is these next few songs. Uh, try to imagine the presence of Jesus. Close your eyes if you need to in these next few songs. Imagine the presence of Jesus and imagine that piece of brokenness that you're holding inside. And would you let him have the same response? as he had with this woman this morning? Would you receive his grace? Would you hear the question, is anyone in this room condemning you? I will not condemn you. Let's pray and the band will lead us this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we celebrate that you are the light of the world and all the richness of what that means, that you're our guiding light, that you bring growth and warmth to our lives that we live in darkness if you're, pres if you're not present with us and we don't even completely all understand all the ways. God, that you give us a passion by your Holy Spirit to be on fire for you. But God, we recognize this morning that in some ways, all of that starts with us being able to be honest with you. Coming into your presence, acknowledging that you are safe, that you don't have condemnation for us, but you have healing, forgiveness, and eternal life, life to the full. God, we want that life, and we want it with you. So Jesus, would you empower us now to come into your presence? And God, would you empower us as a community to continue to, to shed that light on the world with humility, God, with passion, with honesty, and with grace? In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. 
If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. And may he give you the courage to respond. Amen.